0: Welcome to another episode of coming out stories every fortnight we sit down with a member of the lgbtq community and hear about those intimate conversations that they had when coming out to friends and family i'm your host emma goldswell and the podcast is produced by sam walker for what goes on media You can find out more at comingoutstoriespodcast.com and you'll also find details about our book of the same name. This episode, we're off to the Scottish Highlands to meet a bisexual man called Andrew. He's behind the rather brilliant website, Pride of the Terraces, so there's plenty of chat about LGBTQ people in sport. Before that, though, let's meet him.
1: Looking back, yeah, there were probably signs that I think there's a home video that my mum and dad took at one Christmas morning when I was like really young, about four or five, and it's mm. probably one of the campus things you'll see. But <laughs> thank God that like doesn't see the light of day anymore. <laughs> nor, I I'm pretty sure that doesn't exist. But that never added up in my mind, I guess. Uh, I never really thought, oh, this is different, this is strange, you know, I'm I'm not like the other people. And then I guess when I was sort of moving into teens and I started realizing I was attracted to guys, I'd never really accepted that, it's cliche for people to say that they're told being gay or being bi or whatever is a phase. I kind of went the other way, I kept telling myself that I was straight, um, ah. which wasn't obviously the case, um, but I just sort of kept thinking to myself, oh this will pass, this this will not be a thing, and then it wasn't.
0: <laughs> so you were telling yourself that it was a yes, phase rather than a family? Much so. yeah.
1: Yeah. Because I just always saw my future as being that sort of classic nuclear family, you know, grow up, marry woman, have kids, get a job, all that sort of stuff. I never really considered that there was any other possibility.
0: And also, bi erasure is a real thing. And I guess if you were still attracted to women, if you're trying to navigate your sexuality and work it all out, it's confusing for a young person. If you're still attracted to women, you're thinking, oh, well, I must be straight then. And, And the opportunity or the idea of being bisexual or pansexual isn't obvious is it it's not it's not there there aren't that many bisexual role models
1: yeah absolutely that is i think even now to an extent there really isn't that much visibility um and hopefully that's starting to change bit by bit and i guess i didn't grow up that long ago you know we're probably talking mid-noughties into the early tens but even then i couldn't tell you anybody that i could point to and say Mm. they're bi or, or they're pan and I did have crushes on girls, so that's just what I thought, okay, this is this is going to be how it goes forward. Looking back, I absolutely had crushes on guys as well.
0: Mm-hmm. I just
1: never registered that that's what they were. Yeah, it, it's difficult, I think. And by erasure is just this this whole topic that, especially in the last sort of few months with Heartstopper coming out and mm-hmm. know, the whole Kit Connor scenario.
0: Oh, yes, yeah, so I just remind people who was the star of Heartstopper, who was... Yeah basically forced to come out on social media, which is horrific.
1: Yeah, as by because people assumed he was gay, I think, being at heart and then he got photographed holding hands with a woman. And, yeah, I don't think people often realise that bi-erasure is a thing, but we're seeing, even in the 21st century, it very much still is.
0: And it's that whole obsession with having to know... Yeah. people's sexuality is, is is slightly odd as well isn't it can you not just accept that they were brilliant in that drama and get on with it no people have to know what their sexuality is if they're playing a gay role if people feel like they're entitled to know it don't they it's weird
1: yeah and I can kind of see both sides in that because I get the whole representation thing with you know we want LGBT people playing LGBT roles to be able to bring their own experience to and and all of that but at the same time nobody should be forced to out themselves when they're not ready to do that and they're not comfortable doing that. I've I've talked to a couple of friends about that particular case and what I kind of come back to is that the progress that we've made with younger people and so many more people being accepting and knowing who they are so much earlier Mm -hmm. has actually put more pressure on people to know who they are earlier. And that's a world apart from even when I was growing up 10, 15 years ago. But... Seeing so many, you know, 15, 16 year olds now just being able to live as they are without as many, I'm not going to say without any issue. um, Mm -hmm. I think that raises the expectation that other people of the same age also knows who they are when that's not necessarily the case, as we've heard in your podcast.
0: Yeah, no, never thought about it like that, to be honest, but yeah. So so back to you, Andrew, when...
1: Um, <laughs> we got quite big there, didn't we? Yeah,
0: we did, we went, we went there. <laughs> when, did you, when did the penny drop then and you thought, ah, actually, I don't have to be completely straight, I don't have to be completely gay, I might be bisexual?
1: Yeah, well, as I say, hindsight is twenty twenty. I probably knew I was attracted to guys from 12, 13 years old, but I didn't right. really embrace that and accept that until I was, I think, 19, 20, something like that, which... Again, you know, hearing other stories on the podcast is it going to be relatively early for some people, but that mm-hmm. for me was still, what, seven years, eight years of kind of hiding that away. And it was only when I was at university and seeing other people sort of being their, their authentic selves that I kind of was like, oh, actually, this is okay. I mean, I did come across people, but I never knew that I'd come across people who were LGBT. It was one of those. Again, it never really registered in my mind that, oh, yeah, of course, there, there's them. And looking back, yeah, there, there were quite a few people that I was around or that I knew of or even extended family.
0: But they weren't they weren't out then or they weren't obvious? I think some
1: were, some weren't. People that were sort of around my age and my classes at school, that sort of thing, weren't out as far as I know. But I now know, either from social media updates or just from talking to Mm -hmm. people that they are LGBT. There's one, I know one of my cousins was openly gay at that point. But we weren't, my family aren't particularly close with (laughs) (laughs) sort of the extended family. So I kind of always knew that was a thing, but never really, that, oh, yeah, of course, they're lesbian, so I have this visibility, I have this representation.
0: So remind us where you were growing up.
1: (laughs) Um, I grew up in a small town called Fraserborough, which, because I'm assuming the vast majority of people will never have heard of it, is about an hour north of Aberdeen in the northeast of Scotland.
0: So you're right up north, north.
1: Right up north, yeah. We've
0: already discussed how (laughs) cold it is compared to Manchester (laughs) even this morning. You've been up to minus two this morning. Oof! Um, but what is it like to be gay in that part of Scotland? I mean, I know Scotland has very progressive laws. They had marriage equality before England.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I assume it's quite easy to be gay in Scotland. But is that the same across the country? Is that the same in rural areas where you were growing up?
1: It very much depends on the area I found. Uh, I grew up there and I now work in the Highlands uh, based out of Inverness, which, if anything, is even more rural and wow. even smaller populations. Yeah, But where i grew up i don't remember it being as lgbt plus friendly as where i am now and you know i look back at school and i'm talking 2010 2011 and i remember people being bullied for being camp not being out as gay but for being camp and it's at the time i probably never thought this is bullying you know it was just over oh, teasing him or you know it's it's lighthearted fun but looking back yeah that was definitely bullying and i know people still struggle with that quite a lot in rural areas i do think some of that in schools especially it is changing you talked about marriage equality but scotland is also the first country i think in the world to have lgbt education as part of the curriculum Mm -hmm. uh, as a mandatory part of the curriculum and i know within i think two or three years after i left school my old high school had started up an lgbt club which right. was just totally unthinkable for me when I was there. I, I imagine that would only have made people targets, and, and I certainly would never have thought about going along or something like that. But it's fantastic that those sorts of things happen now. I think kind of like everywhere you probably have the bigger cities with the more diversity <laughs> in every sense, not just sexuality and identity, where you're probably going to be okay outside of those and there aren't that many of those in Scotland. It can be a bit more challenging and you'll probably find some smaller towns or villages. Everybody will be fine with it because everybody knows everybody. You're just like one big family. In other places, yeah, they maybe haven't reached that mm. level yet.
0: Yeah, well, I do remember watching Nicholas Sturgeon address Glasgow Pride. Mm. And this was pre-pandemic. I'm going to guess it was about 2017, 2018, around then. And I do remember her clearly saying she wanted Scotland not just to be a good place for LGBT people, not to be the best place in the UK for LGBT people, but to be the best place in the world for LGBT people. And she was going to do everything that uh, was in her power to, to make that happen. And she got people cheering. I mean, I've never seen love and support for a national leader like I saw for Nicola Sturgeon at Glasgow Pride. It was It was quite impressive. So it seems like you are in a good place and hopefully things can only get better in in scotland for, for young lgbt people
1: things are definitely getting better um, i talked about the groups at schools there but we've also seen a load of different pride events pop up around the country for mm-hmm. a long time it was just glasgow and edinburgh and mm. now we're finding in the last five years or so you have an aberdeen pride you have a highland pride you have loads of, of different wee places round about. Like I know was Oban Pride, you know, those, even of the little islands round about oh. Scotland are having their own Pride events now.
0: I would love to go to Highland Pride or Oban Pride. That must be immense.
1: <laughs> it's just, it's fantastic to see it. So much as I'm maybe not painting the best picture of when I was growing up, I do yeah. think things are changing very quickly and yeah. things are hopefully only getting better.
0: So you did witness bullying at your school, but I'm guessing it wasn't directed at you, was it?
1: No. We were talking just before recording, I said I hate this phrase, but I absolutely did pass. I was the guy who would sit and chat to other boys in my school about football all Mm. day long. You know, I was the quiet one in the corner who was a bit of a nerd, who for the most part, people just left alone because I wasn't that interesting. Whereas other people who were maybe a bit more, I used the word camp earlier, flamboyant, maybe into their arts doing drama instead of doing mm-hmm. maths or whatever, I know a couple of them certainly would have had it much more difficult than I did. Mm. Yeah.
0: So when did you feel empowered enough or aware of yourself enough to, to actually come out and say, yeah, I'm a bisexual man? <laughs>
1: I feel like it was quite a slow process because I don't remember just one moment where it was like, oh yeah, this is who I am now. It, I think it was sort of over months, and it was a gradual realization. And then I first came out to someone, I think it was March 2016, so by that point I was 20. And, but I mean, that was just so freeing in that moment and I was on such a high for the next couple of days to just finally have said it. <laughs>
0: Who who was the first person who said it to them?
1: It was uh, one of my friends. So I I was at uni, and it was one of my friends from home that I messaged. I think I did it over Facebook Messenger.
0: (laughs) That's one way of coming out. I think that's the first.
1: Is it okay? (laughs) Yeah, Um, I think so. I've covered pretty much all of the. I've done it on the phone, Messenger, text, in person. Technology nowadays is great. And when my social circle was very much split over a couple of different places, that kind of became a necessity at one point. I think the way I, I did it was I had had a conversation with my friend earlier in the day, and I think I messaged her at night, just being like, you know what I was saying earlier? Yeah, I wasn't totally straight with you. And she was just like, huh, what do you mean? I'm like, read that again. And then it clicked. And yeah, it was just like, yeah, okay. Here we go. That
0: That's quite a cryptic coming out, Andrew.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, I got more sort of on the nose as we went through. We did, we chatted about it for a long time after that. That was also, I think, like half one, two o'clock in the morning, because at uni I was nocturnal. So it was mm. maybe a bit of that, because we had to play sleep deprivation. Um, but yeah, cryptic cryptic's quite a good word for it actually. I hadn't <laughs> thought about that before. <laughs> I thought that would be a really clever way of doing it, but you know, she got it, it was fine. <laughs>
0: Well I don't know about how you feel about terminologies do you hmm. feel bisexual or pansexual or is there no difference to you do you think
1: I identify as bisexual hmm. I think when I sort of embraced that term I wasn't aware of pansexual even hmm. then and even though it's not that long ago there are times where I probably struggle to see a massive distinction between the two I think there's definitely overlap but it's down to what people are comfortable with, isn't it? You know, I'm not saying that to say they are one and the same, we should only use one by any means. It's just that's what suits me and I never really considered pan as a label.
0: Mm. So did you explore your bisexuality at university then? Were you you having relationships with men as well as women?
1: Not really. Um, The whole reason that I ended up sort of coming to terms with it was because I'd fallen for a guy. But that was also towards the end of my time at uni. So I'd spent most of that spell still in the closet and still not really knowing exactly what was going on, trying to work my way through it. So by the time I really was comfortable with it and out to people, uni was kind of done. (laughs) So I never really had the chance to live that queer student lifestyle that, you know, so many people go and do. Um, And then after uni, I went back to my mum and dad's where I wasn't out again. So I'd, I've kind of had this back and forth quite a lot. And then when I started work, I had this moment where us like, nobody here really knows. So I've never really, until like these last couple of years, ironically, during the pandemic, just mm-hmm. been able to kind of go, yeah, this is who I am. This is what I want to do and uh, live that life to the fullest, as cheesy as that may sound.
0: Yeah, well, it, it takes a while, it takes confidence, it takes knowing yourself 100%, doesn't it? It's not something that you do the day after you decide you might be gay or bisexual. You, <laughs> people generally sit on it for a little while, don't they, before they're comfortable saying it. So when did you get around to having the conversation with your parents?
1: <laughs> it was about a year and a half after I first told my friend. Right. Um, this probably gives you an insight into my mind. I'd drawn up a list of people that I was like, I need to tell them. And my family were on it, but... I think they were the last ones that I actually told on that mm-hmm. list. I guess I was kind of out to my friends at uni and relatively comfortable in that, but I was always scared of doing anything publicly in case it got back to my family before I personally had told them. So it was right at the end of 2017. And I probably have to give you a bit of context here because 2017 was, in my mind, an absolutely awful year. <laughs> okay. um, so I'd lost my granddad's. At the very start of 2017, I then graduated uni and moved back to my mum and dad, as I said, and was trying and failing miserably to apply for jobs mm. coming out of uni. Um, my social circle were either still down in the central belt of Scotland, where I'd gone to uni. People I'd known from school, 90% of them had moved away. So I felt very isolated in that mm. sense. And not being out to my family, again, looking back on it, I can now say was contributing to that in quite a big way. So when I actually had the conversation with them, I'd kind of blown up a little bit at them. I was getting very frustrated. I was very unhappy with just my general life situation in that moment. So I I had a bit of a tantrum. I know that's quite childish, but that's what happened. And I started sort of opening up to them about struggling at times at uni and I was just kind of like, while I'm telling them stuff, I might as well add this into the mix. It was was very much just a spur of the moment thing. Oh, well, I'm here now. I might as well just add this other thing on. And what was the reaction? Exactly what I had expected. So there's my mum, my dad and my brother. And my mum got quite emotional and said she thought i had been very brave, which I, I didn't expect her to have any sort of issue with it at all. I knew my brother would be totally fine when he was at uni he'd shared a flat with a couple of guys who were gay so if that was going to be an issue that would have come up at some point beforehand I was pretty confident that would be fine. My dad I didn't think it would change anything but I didn't think he would really understand it and that's basically what he said in the moment like I still love you but I don't really get this Um, and to be fair. He has been so supportive since. You know, there, there hasn't been any issue. I think it just took him a while to wrap his head around.
0: And do you think if he'd said you he were gay, he would have understood that? Is it because he said you were bisexual, that he was struggling because he didn't know anyone else bisexual or
1: understand it? I don't know. I've, I've never really thought about that. I've never really had the conversation with him about that. Maybe that would have been simpler. Yeah, to just kind of go, rather than this, it's this, as opposed to maybe saying it's both. Maybe that's it.
0: I think there one I- one issue and one root of biphobia is people, again, assuming that, that it's a choice and just thinking, oh, make your mind up, you need to be one or the other, you know, and I think that sort of hatred and misunderstanding comes from the gay community as well sometimes. I think I've met a lot of lesbians and gay men who are like, oh, wishy-washy bisexuals, they just need to you know pick a team, like not understanding that there's a sexuality. and Have you come across that as well?
1: Personally, not massively. I've seen Mm -hmm. a lot of that sort of stuff online for other people. I personally have never had anybody use phrases like pick a team, um, like you use there, or make your mind up or anything like that. I've been extremely lucky because nobody's ever had an issue with it.
0: You've had a fairly smooth coming out story then, (laughs) really.
1: Once I got to the point where I was telling people, yeah, Yeah. for sure. Um, I mean, that was, even to go 18 months, I think it was even a little bit more than that between first telling a friend and then telling my family that felt like such a long time mm. but I know that people have it much worse so yeah, relatively speaking it's I can't, couldn't really have asked for any more to be honest
0: Well yes, the last person I just interviewed came out in, in his 60s so went a long time in the closet shall we say
1: Yeah, I don't know how I could have coped with that no. <laughs> so fair play to them I think
0: 18 months is a struggle over 40 years definitely yeah. a struggle Yeah Kind of puts it
1: in perspective a little bit doesn't it? Yeah
0: <laughs> So have you had any boyfriends since, or are you you mainly focusing on female partners, or are you just happy being you on your own?
1: I have just been on my own. Um, (laughs) When I was talking before about smaller communities, that often also means choices are a little bit thinner on the ground. Um, So no, nothing has ever really happened for me like that. I'm not saying I wouldn't be open to something, hmm. you know, I, I would love to be in a relationship and find someone, spend the rest of my life with them, but it's not really a main priority for me just now. I've kind of got to the point where I'm like, if it doesn't happen for me, and where I am, <laughs> the amount of people around, it might well not happen for me, that's okay.
0: That's a good attitude to have, I think. And, and you're still young, aren't you? You're still in your 20s.
1: Yeah, as we record, I'm 26, <laughs> so plenty of time in theory.
0: Plenty of time, exactly. And what about work then? Were you able to come out at work? I know you did eventually get a job after all. I've been there, don't worry, Andrew, I know what it's like being a graduate and applying for all the jobs and getting bugger all in response. Um, But you got there in the end, didn't you? And you have a good career now as a a journalist.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things I always say to people now who are maybe just about to leave uni and think about applying for jobs is that it took me, I think, eight, nine months of applying for jobs before (laughs) I got anything but the one that I ended up getting was the best fit for me. And it was the one I would have enjoyed the most out of all of them. So it, timing is everything. But it's ironic in terms of people at work knowing, after I told my family, I then decided after saying I wouldn't do anything like this to to write an article for my own student paper where I would come out publicly. Ooh. Um, and that got published the same day I went for my job interview for the job I'm still in now.
0: Amazing. What newspaper was this?
1: It was a Stirling University student paper called Break. I think the article's still there online. That was the year after I'd left uni, so I still knew people there, and when I talked about visibility and seeing other people living their true lives, there was another member of the paper while I was there who was openly queer, and he decided for LGBT History Month to try and get an article from an LGBT perspective every single day of the month. And I saw that and it was amazing seeing all these different perspectives, people's different stories. And once I told my family, I was like, I kind of want to contribute to this. So he was doing it again. And one of the articles for that year was me coming out publicly. That was the same day as my job interview that I eventually got the job and I'm still there today. And after a couple of months, because those two things kind of overlapped, I just kind of assumed, mm. right, I'm out now. Everybody knows. You know, it's public knowledge. If any of my new colleagues go on my social media, it's there. But then after a couple of months and nobody really mentioned it, I was like, I don't think anybody knows. I don't, I don't <laughs> think anybody's clocked this yet.
0: People need to know this information,
1: don't they? <laughs> well, it, it wasn't... It's not like I was going in day one and it was like, hi, I'm Andrew, I'm bisexual. But it was just like, I feel like it would have come up at some point. Just like, you know, what are you doing at the weekend or or whatever, that sort of thing. And it just kind of slowly dawned on me, I'm not sure anybody really knows that this happened and that I wrote the article and that I'm out now and that this is a thing. And to be fair, I never really sat down and had a conversation with anybody at work. I just started writing more about LGBT stuff. Mm -hmm. I think then people sort of started to put the pieces together.
0: And it's now kind of become your speciality, a bit like me. I've become a, a bit of a LGBT journalist, you know, that's yeah. kind of kind of made a career out of it. And you, you've done the same, really, haven't you?
1: Yeah. So when I say I didn't sit down people at work, I just started writing about it. I launched a website called Pride of the Terraces in October 2019. I'd been thinking about it for a few months in the build up to it and sort of working on, on building a site before actually launching it properly. That specifically focuses on LGBT in sport. So my day job is as a sports reporter, that's very much my life, I guess. As uh, I said so earlier at school, I would sit and talk to people all day about football. But once I came out, I started discovering different things of, you know, there's a, a BBC podcast on LGBT and sport and my mind is just completely blown that all these people are actually out there because I hadn't seen any of this representation mm. before. Other than maybe two or three really high profile examples. And there was this whole world that I didn't know was there. And that was incredibly inspiring to me to want to go and do something similar. And I then realized I work as a sports reporter. I kind of have the means and resources to go and do something like this. And while there was that podcast, there wasn't a website and written articles focusing on that and dedicated Hmm. to that. So I kind of saw a bit of a gap and thought, I'm going to do this. So once I launched that, that's when people at work then, I think, started realizing, oh, he's writing about this because he is part of that community. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm still here three, three and a half years later doing the website and doing Pride of the Terraces, and it's been amazing.
0: And what I love about the website is um, it helps smash a few stereotypes, I think, doesn't it? Because the stereotype is, oh, gay people are crap at sport. And, (laughs) you know, I've interviewed plenty of gay men who, you know, do fit that stereotype and who were rubbish at sport at school and they just wanted to focus on the drama or whatever. And, you know, they fit that stereotype. But it is a stereotype, isn't it? There Mm. are plenty of LGBTQ plus people who love their sport, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And there are people competing at the very highest level. I've spoken to olympians Mm. people who have won olympic medals yeah (laughs) and
0: not just tom daly there's others (laughs) no
1: exactly yeah there are absolutely people at the very pinnacle of sport who are also part of the lgbt community and i should maybe say as well that stereotype you're talking about that's totally fine you know if if you are bad at sport fine if if you don't then want to take part in it that's up to you but that shouldn't be something that stops you taking part in sport You know, there are still spaces there for LGBT people to go and have a kickabout with mates if it's football or, you know, join a team that is more social focused and there to bring people together and be part of a community and meet people as opposed to going and winning competitions and winning leagues and medals and everything.
0: Yeah. And what is nice is there are so many LGBT inclusive sports clubs and football clubs in particular across the country. And they're full of people who maybe didn't take to sport too well at Mm. school because they were bullied and they didn't live up to their full potential. And then they've gone back to football or sports that they love a little bit later in life. And it's been really empowering for them.
1: Yeah, I I see that a lot with people coming to inclusive clubs, football and other sports as well, where growing up. They just couldn't marry the idea of their love of sport and their identity. And maybe that was an internal thing, like it was for me. Maybe that was other people who kind of made them feel unwelcome by mm-hmm. language they used or mm-hmm. comments that were made. And eventually they managed to come back and find a space where they can be both and there's no issue about it. That is, again, I used to inspiring before, but it's so amazing to see... All of these people now coming back into sport and being able to enjoy it and not have to worry about getting picked on or getting bullied or even getting attacked sometimes. It's kind of revolutionary in a way.
0: Mm. And it's interesting that we are having this conversation on the... um day that England will play their first game in the World Cup in guitar, a competition that a lot of LGBTQ people, myself included, will be boycotting because of um, guitar's record of human rights, or, or lack thereof. Um, but so maybe it's worth just having a quick conversation about why mainstream male football is so homophobic and so difficult for people to come out in. I mean, it's just a scary it, place f- for some reason, isn't it?
1: It's an interesting one, because... Everything you hear from players, from managers, are that there wouldn't be a problem in the dressing room. Yeah. And we've seen in 2022, Jake Daniels came out. And was mm. the first British player since Justin Fashnew. In Scotland, up here, we've had a couple of referees come out. We had Xander mm-hmm. Murray become the first Scottish player ever, first Scottish men's player ever to come out. So the evidence that we've seen doesn't actually really tally up with saying men's football is very homophobic and yet the culture clearly is there that's not a welcoming place otherwise we'd have more than one player in the English leagues that we'd have more than one player in the Scottish system so I think that speaks more to a historical thing and more of a a culture that's been embedded over decades you know since the very start of, of organized football and I don't like to blame the fans, and that's not what I'm trying to do, but you do sometimes hear homophobic chants from Mm -hmm. the crowd. You do see the abuse that players get in stadiums, on social media. And I think that's probably the bigger factor right now than football not being ready for a gay footballer. Because I think we've seen in the UK and in other countries, like Josh Cavallo came out in Australia in 2021, that actually that's probably not going to be an issue within teams. So it's then down to what other factors there are.
0: And I guess that's partly why he wants to do your website as well, because it's about having pride on the terraces, isn't it? It's about having LGBT people at events, as well as being on the pitch and feeling included.
1: Yeah, 100%. I mean, I started up the website, I probably give a different answer to everybody every time they ask me why it happened, because there's so many different things that came into play. One of them being in 2019, there were quite a few incidents, I'll say. Some of them homophobic, some of them just affecting the LGBT community. Like, I don't know if, if you'll remember this, but there was the gay footballer on Twitter who claimed to be a second-tier player in England who was going to come out.
0: That's right, yes, I do remember this, yeah.
1: And I think the day before that he was supposed to reveal his identity or something like that. The account shut down and couldn't do it and was never really heard from again. Mm -hmm. We still don't really know for sure if that was a hoax or if that was actually a player who just didn't feel ready and didn't feel able to do it. But there was stuff like that happening and stuff in other sports, like I think there was a couple of things in cricket where Joe Root, who was England captain at the time, had said during a match in the West Indies, don't use it as an insult, there's nothing wrong with being gay in response to something a West Indies player had said. And there was an Australian player as well who had put up a post on Instagram, I think, saying that it was him and his boyfriend and then backtracked later on saying it was just a joke. A bit like we saw in 2022 with Igor Casillas. So there's a few things like that. And it was like, actually, this isn't a laughing matter. You know, there is a real need for visibility here, for role models here and at all levels of sport, not just in, you know, the English national teams and not just in the Premier League when it comes to football and that's why I try with Pride of the Services to talk to people who have been Olympians and, and who are at the very top of their game but also people who like we talked about before maybe were driven away from sport and have come back and joined an inclusive club or just finding a way to do it at their local village team or whatever because all of those stories hopefully have some sort of impact and show that there is a place in sport for people. That's essentially what it all boils down Mm. to. That's what I wanted to achieve with it, just to show that it's possible. And if you don't think it is, here are all these other people doing it.
0: Brilliant. Well, and finally, because I always like to ask people advice for other people coming out. I mean, maybe you might want to direct this at any um, male professional footballers who might be listening who are in the closet. Advice for coming out as, as bisexual, maybe.
1: Well, as I say, I, I've listened, I think, to every episode of Coming Out Stories, Emma, so I oh, knew you were going to ask well, dedication. Well done, Andrew. <laughs> I got, once Once I came out, I was really fascinated by other people's coming out yeah. stories. So I, I'm a regular listener. Um, oh. But I've been thinking about this question, and I've, I still haven't really been able to land on a simple answer for it. <laughs>
0: well, I'm glad I asked you it, though, because you were <laughs> expecting it. <laughs> You've known the format.
1: <laughs> I think, because I also know, before I had come out, I probably wouldn't have listened to much advice. I wouldn't have taken that on board. Yeah. So trying to think of something that's useful mm. but also, you know, has some actual meaning that has been quite difficult for me. I think even though it's maybe a bit cliché at this point, it would just be it's probably going to be okay. It really is as simple as that and, you know, if you are who you are, things will get better, and if other people don't accept that, that's their problem, not yours, and you're probably better off without them. You've probably heard that loads of different times, but that's really the the simplest thing I can boil it down to.
0: And even good advice if you are a Premiership footballer, you know, it yeah. probably will be all right. Yeah, right. You know? I'd never encourage people to come out before they're ready, but it probably will be all right.
1: Yeah, there was a, a fantastic article, I think it was written a few years ago now, on Outsports, which is an American site on LGBT sport. And it was basically, when uh, a male footballer at the top level does come out, what will their day look like? And <laughs> it was just broken down. It's like, wake up at this time, have out, go into training, do this, do this, whatever. And I would love to know if any of the people who have come out, since that was written, how similar their day was to that. Because it was basically just a standard, normal day. You Nothing's going to change. Yeah. Go into training. You know, you maybe have an extra meeting or two. Like, this is going to be announced at this time. This is going to be made public. But it's basically a case of turning off your phone, don't look at the reaction, at least for a while until you feel ready for it, and go about your life as normal. And say every player in pretty much every sport I've talked to says it wouldn't be an issue in the dressing room. So I, I don't think there's any reason for people to be scared of that. And that's really what matters, isn't it?
0: So great to chat to Andrew. And I must recommend his website. Just go to prideoftheterraces.com. They're also at Pride of Terraces on Twitter. And you'll find loads of interesting articles on LGBTQ people in sport. And honestly there's some really fascinating people on there to inspire you. Next episode, we're off to America to meet EJ, who identifies as being a genderqueer, gender fluid, mask lesbian. But they also told me that their identity is something they're still
1: figuring out. I've had quite the uh, internal war with myself over the last couple of weeks about what my pronouns are and like who I identify as. And I've recently kind of come to the terms with abolishing the labels that society tries to put you in. So I kind of prefer the term genderqueer over non-binary, just because I feel like non-binary is more of a label than genderqueer, considering I haven't really figured that side of myself out quite yet.